right, guys. Awesome. My name is Jacob, one of the pastors here. We're going to jump right back in this dream that we started a few weeks ago that we could actually find a spacious place in our lives, a place that we could breathe, a place that we could live, a place that we could um, stop with God. Uh, Paula was uh, the first person that I was ever with when she died. And so one of the great honors that a pastor gets uh, from time to time is to actually be with people when, when they die. It's a, it's a holy moment that the family would invite you into this place. And Paula was the first for me. So I was a young pastor, 22, 23 years old. It was, Paula was the, uh, the mother of one of my friends, and she called me and invited me to come down to a live hospice, which is a wonderful place in downtown Nashville to join the family. So this was my, my first time to do that. And so I arrived, and when I got there, there was this little circle of people that had gathered around uh, the bed, around Paula's bed. And now that I've done this many times, uh, it's something I've begun to call my own heart, the family circle. And what I mean by that is without any instruction, without anybody knowing what to do, when the family comes, they just make this circle. A lot of times it's sort of like a half circle, right, around the bed. And you stand there in this sort of holy moment. So you can imagine what a gift it is to be invited to come into that. So uh, what I normally do is, is say a prayer. I'll uh, read a scripture. I, I like to read the 23rd Psalm. that says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there's a place in it that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Uh, I always read from John chapter 14, which says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Uh, I will say that just because I read the 23rd Psalm to you, like at the hospital, doesn't mean you're dying. Uh, so I like, I have people look at me. It's like, so, you know, I had this guy look at me. I'm like, you're getting your wisdom teeth out. You're good. You know, just, it's probably going to be fine. Um, but when I got with, with Paula, I was ushered in and I had not, like I said, ever done that before. And so I tried to, you know, say a prayer and read a scripture. And then we stood in this silence. There's always this kind of silence, you know. And in that silence with Paula, I had this really strange sensation to sing, uh, to sing a song. And now I'd had some training as a pastor in school, and never once had they said in this situation to sing a solo, <laughs> you know? So it was a little odd, but my heart was telling me to sing. And so uh, I began to sing a song that actually Paula and I had, uh, I had sung with her before in her room. You know, I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses. And Paula hadn't said anything for a day. You know, we'd said our goodbyes. Her death was imminent. But as sure as I am standing here today, Paula started singing with me. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And I learned something that day that I wanted to share with you as a 23-year-old pastor. I learned that heaven is closer than you think. It's actually closer than you think. I grew up sort of in a rural area, and these old country folks would talk about it like this. They would talk about the veil. I don't know if you ever heard that, like, talk, like a curtain. They'd talk about the veil between here and heaven. And what they would say is, the veil is thin. And so I don't actually know what side of the veil Paula was on when she sang that in the garden with me, but I know it was really close. You know, I know it was really close. 
And I want to talk to you again this morning about this garden. Some of you who've been here are like, this is the third week, Jacob, you've talked about the garden. And it's because I think there's still more yet for us to mine from it and to find in it. If we have hope of uh, living into a spacious place, like finding a place to breathe, finding a place to stop, finding a place to rest in this life, it seems to me we have to go back to creation. And we've talked about how on the seventh day of creation, God stopped, God breathed, God rested. God created this Sabbath, which just means uh, to stop there in the garden. And over the last couple of weeks, we've explored this garden and there's a river there and there's all these trees. And you may be asking yourself, something I sort of asked myself bringing this back again is like, is there really something for our lives today that could be learned from this ancient story about a garden? And I think that there is. (laughs) And what's interesting is that in the very beginning in Genesis, you know, here in the front of the Bible, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. But if you go to the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible is called uh, Revelation, and it was uh, a vision given to a man named John, one of Jesus' disciples. He had a revelation of what it would be like in the end. You find God creating again. So I wanted to read it to you. It says, he said, this is like the second to the last chapter of Revelation. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and earth had passed away. It sounds a lot like creation. God's uh, creating this, uh, the heavens and the earth again. We read on and it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So the image is of heaven coming down on to earth. We read on and John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. So like Jesus had said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. He's saying the dwelling place is coming now among the people and he will dwell with them. And I was was reading this week, it's like, uh, yeah, that sounds a lot like what? The beginning of the story, when God walked through the garden and God seemed to kind of live among the people. There's more. John says, he, Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In the first garden, there were trees. Remember, one tree not to be eaten from, but we did eat from it, and that ushered in death, and mourning, and crying, and pain. But here, it says, no more of that. Like, no more crying? How many of us cried this week? I don't, I don't expect that, that everybody here did, but a bunch of us did. No more crying? Well, there's something coming when there will be no more crying. No more pain. No more hunger. No more addiction. No more war. No more violence. No more children who are forgotten. No more exploitation of the poor. No more cancer. No more gluttony, no more pornography, no more hospice, no more of the things that are killing us. And then you just have to keep reading. And John says, then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb, that's Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. 
this description of this city that came from heaven down to earth, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? We're reading here in Genesis in the end, but if we flip, I mean, Revelation in the end, but if we flip back to Genesis, we read about a river flowing through the garden. And so uh, let's keep reading. It says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. The tree of life is mentioned in the end of our story. The other place it's mentioned is in Genesis. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life. On each side of the river was the tree of life. Guys, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing here, but it sounds like God's bringing the garden back. It sounds like God's bringing the garden back. And then 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. It's like the tree's just growing and growing, yielding fruit all the time. There's no real season for fruits. It's a season every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The leaves of this tree are going to heal everybody. They're going to heal all of the nations. And there's more. No longer will there be any curse. Remember the curse? Remember the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat and and we ate it, and then we got what? Jobs. <laughs> Jobs. Jobs came next. Painful toil and death. The curse. But this says that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. I think, guys, that the city is the garden. We think about getting to heaven, you know, that's a, a goal. You know, something we talk about at church, it's a good thing to talk about, you know, getting people to heaven. My hero as a young man, when I felt like God was asking me to pa- be a pastor, was Billy Graham, this great evangelist. And I began to have this dream that maybe there could be more people in heaven when I'm done here than there was before, you know. We talk about in church about getting people to heaven. This says that God's bringing heaven to earth. Whoa. <laughs> There's more. The spirit and the bride, that's us. We're the bride. Say, come. Like, what else would you say? (laughs) What in the world else would you say if you're like thinking this could actually be a possibility? I would say, come. (laughs) Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Who gets to come to the new garden? Anyone who's thirsty Who gets to come to the new garden? Anyone who's thirsty can receive the free gift of the water of life. And then the Bible ends with Jesus saying, yes, I am coming soon. And us saying, come Lord Jesus. That's how the Bible ends. Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. And we say, come Lord Jesus. New garden, no crying, no cancer. And we say, well, come on. (laughs) Right? I get that that's a lot to take in. Like the book of Revelation is really confusing. A lamb and a city and a tree and a river and fruit and leaves. We think, what's going on here? I am not completely sure. In fact, anybody that tells you they got Revelation all figured out and they'll pinpoint it on a chart or something, I would be skeptical. Seriously. This really weird book. And I don't know, you know, if we'd want to say we could conceive of the grand vision that God has for redeeming all of humanity and creation, we might be getting ahead of ourselves a bit. But... There's some really cool stuff here, isn't there? I don't know if you feel like I feel, but it, it, something about this story connects with, like, my guts. Like, my stomach is hurting this morning because I've told this story three times. I don't know how to explain it. It's like it is working in me. It's like 
trying to show me something. Like, I'm, like I could get a revelation. Like I could see something through God's eyes that I could see something in the, in the spirit world if I would try to, to hang in this story. I know this sounds crazy. Uh, this, you're the first service I've told about it. Uh, but if we could just hang in there, like what if we could begin to see um, what God is up to in the midst of garden and garden? So here's some stuff that I, that I think God could be showing us. We're supposed to sit in the garden. We're supposed to stop in this garden. This series has been about, all about permission to stop. This isn't a real practical sermon today. It's important, but it's not practical. So the practical thing from this series is like God is giving you permission to stop, to find some space, to breathe. God's bringing the garden back. Heaven, eternity is gonna be like the garden. But God is saying you can stop in the garden now. Another way of saying that might be practice for heaven now. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, don't arrive in heaven inexperienced. You don't have to arrive in heaven inexperienced. You can practice for it now. And, and you do that by finding space in your life to be with God. So I want to be practiced up. You know, Paula was practiced up. You know what I mean? She, she had the song on the tip of her tongue as she breathed her last year or breathed her first there. I wasn't sure exactly where we were. What we're hoping for in heaven, it's not readily available in every moment of our life. Of course not. We have pain. We have sadness. We have hunger. Those things are said to not be there. But we can, if we choose, create space in our lives to connect with God, that we can stop. God's given us permission in a creation, and it seems like his grand vision for us is something like sitting in the garden with God. Like, you don't have to crush it every day. You don't have to crush it every moment, you know? God's giving you space. Like the whole story begins to help us kind of put in place again who's the creator and who's the creation. You read Revelation, it's really clear who's on the throne and who's worshiping the one on the throne. But we get that all out of whack in our lives, you know? So it leads me on this next thing is that we're supposed to tend the garden. This garden, this what God wants to happen here is not just something that was back in Genesis. It's not just something that's coming in Revelation. It's something that's available here. Jesus, when he came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, which is like saying it's on now. And so we do live in the, in the tension, right, of uh, it, it was back then and it's coming and it's now. And, and that's something we kind of have to, have to work through. Uh, another way of saying this tending is that we get to work to bring heaven on earth. We get to work for heaven now. You can do your work like that. In Colossians, I think this verse connects, Paul speaking to some early Christians. He says, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whether in word or whether at work, do it all for Jesus. How would it change how you looked at your work if you began to think about whatever I do, I can do for God. I can do in the name of Jesus. I mean, a lot of us, um, a lot of us look at our work like it's hell, you know? Not me, but, you know, um, <laughs> it's challenging some days. Um, but I mean, sometimes we, it's like we look at our work like it's hell, you know? Um, like if, if you're sitting on I-40 at 7.15 a.m., look around, like look at people's faces. It's like, we're marching to hell. You know, we're, we're going, you know, you roll down the window, like, where are you headed, buddy? Hell, me too. Yeah. You know, it's like, what in the world? But this, this seems to say that whatever we do, your, your, your thing's not to look for the next job maybe or the perfect job, but whatever you do, that you could do that for God. 
You begin to get this sense that, that in these small things that we do all the time, that we can be a part of ushering heaven in, bringing heaven to earth by our own lives. But when I begin to think about that, it goes from being really small to really big, really quick. Because I want to be a, a church that works not to just get people on earth to heaven, but brings heaven to earth. What would that look like? Like when we talk about seeing, you know, everyone fed or everyone free from addiction. Well, God says in the end that there will be no more hunger and no more addiction and no more teen suicide. Well, let's work for it now. Let's rehearse. Let's practice. We're talking about practice? Talking about practice, you know? That's what it will look like. Let's work for it. Do what you're doing. Do just what you're doing for the Lord in the name of Jesus. That may change some of the things you have to do. If it does, then change it. But if you can do it and do it in the name of Jesus, I think it, we start joining in and a, a people like this, just the people that gather like this, we start bringing heaven in. We start bringing heaven to earth. Not like the final culmination of what God's talking about in Revelation. That's something Jesus is gonna do when he sits on his throne. But we get to be a part of that now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so we should be looking for the garden, I think. Right? If God says, this is what's coming, this is what it's gonna look like, then we should be looking for it. If we believe God is trustworthy, and we do, and God says, this is what's coming, then I want to be looking for it, actually looking for heaven while I have my time here on earth when I still live in time. The veil is really thin. That's what I've learned. And so we shouldn't be surprised if when we're looking for it, we might see it at times. You know, if you want to see bad stuff, you can see it all the time. If you want to talk about bad stuff, you can fill up every moment. You can, become, you can become an expert with this whole group of experts that talks about bad stuff all the time. But the followers of Jesus are supposed to have an eternal perspective. The last thing he told us is, I'm coming soon, so we should be looking for it. We should be aware of that. You know, we can't, um, you know, we can't forget, and I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just going to say it. If we're the people that believe one day there's going to be a new city descend from the heavens onto earth and there's going to be a river throwing, flowing through it with a tree of life going down on both sides and the leaves of it are going to be for the healing of the nations and Jesus is going to be beckoning to everyone who's thirsty to come and everyone is going to be welcome to come and take the free gift of the water of life, then Monday morning might look different for us. It might look better to us. We're in the here and now, but we're looking for the garden and and. Trust me that I get, we are in the here and now, and we have to be. The church can't be a place where we come and sing nice worship songs and ignore that kids are starving in the school next door. We live right in the midst of that. We seek to bring heaven to earth, but in that, we also look for the garden because we will not be able to uh, make the kingdom come. Only Jesus can do that, and so we're, we're looking for him. There's a tension. We keep an eye to the garden on the Thursday before Easter, we have a service here at Providence. It's not just our unique thing. Churches around the world do this. Service on Thursday night to remember Jesus' last couple of days on earth. A bunch of y'all are here. This room was full on Thursday night. And what we do on that night is we simply read the story from the scripture. It takes about 15 minutes just to read the excruciating detail of Jesus' last moments and last days. If you don't know the story, Jesus' last days are filled with hunger and pain and sadness and betrayal. And so we come to this place in the story and we stop when Jesus has died. And I wasn't in any leadership of the service that night. I was just sitting out with my family. And in that moment, I was so thankful for Jesus because I was like, he knows what we're going through. You know? 
He's lived where we live because we live in a place where there's crying and sadness and hunger and death. And so Jesus has died in the story and Jenny came to the piano and she led us in a simple song, sort of a, a call and response song called Is He Worthy? It caught my attention because the, the song says that we believe the world is broken. We think that creation, what God created, is groaning. And I, it kind of resonated with me that. But we also, you could tell in the song, we believe something else is coming. And it felt to me, um, it felt to me like the family circle. Like when we stood and sang, I felt like I was standing in that little circle that I've witnessed hundreds of times now because our loved one had died right in our midst. But the veil seemed really thin. It was like, is he there or is he here? You know? And I looked around and I was like, whoa, look at this big group of people, this family who believes that something else is coming even though our world says no way. And that's what I always experience in the family circle, this holy moment we're singing in the garden as someone slips from this side to the next. Takes my breath away. It's kind of, I can like feel it on the inside. Jesus died on the cross. And then do you know where he showed up? In a garden. Wow. Jesus comes walking through the garden, walking with them and talking with them. Jesus embodying the whole story of, of our, our holy scriptures. Jesus in flesh, who knows pain, who knows suffering, who knows death who is now no pain, no, no crying Jesus, walking with us in the midst of what we are going through. I, I realize this isn't like a super uh, practical, last night I was sitting on the porch with Rachel and she was like, what's your sermon about? And I was like, it's not that practical, but I think it's important. And she looked at me because she's super practical. You know, she's like, it's not practical. And I told her what it was about and she was like, oh Yeah. I've told y'all before, like our porch is where Rachel and I often end up, like at the end of a week. And sometimes, even on our stop day, we feel heavy. We feel burdened. We've been walking through this world where there's tears and sadness and death. And Rachel's been my best reminder for the last 20 years. And she'll, she'll tell us, even as we have tears, she'll say, yeah, but Jesus is coming. Sometimes she even says, without me even seeing it coming, she'll just say, come on back, Jesus. You know? And trust me, this is a woman who lives in the here and now with the people who are suffering and on the margins, but our eyes have to be looking towards the garden. So here we are, standing, sitting in this family circle right now. I don't know if you can feel God's presence, but we come together and we sing praises to him even when our lives feel like they're crumbling. Some of us today, you might be like, I walked in here thinking it was over. And I don't even know what the it is, right? But you're just like, I thought it was over. And what I want to tell you today is it's not over. You're right. You're right that all is not right, okay? You are totally right. But it will be made right one day because of Jesus. At the end of the Bible, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. And if that's all you got this week, that's good enough. If all you can say is like, I, I just, I'm just saying, come Lord Jesus, come, come into my life, come into this mess, come into my tears, come into this grief, come Lord Jesus. 
I want to invite you to pray with me a prayer. We've been sort of building over this series as a, a way of opening ourselves up to some space in our hearts and lives. And uh, you'll see at the end, I've just put the words, come Lord Jesus. We'll say it together at the end. Let's pray together. God, we need you to rescue us, to rescue us from a powerful enemy, to set us in a spacious place and to delight in us there. Heal our bodies and restore our rest. Help us hear your voice singing over us. Come.